Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. We're continuing this question series. Uh, how many of you enjoyed last week? Did you enjoy last week? Yeah? We talked about worship. Ooh, we got a woo. Yes. That's awesome. Well, funny story. This morning, I, was, I told the worship team what I was talking about, and I also got a woo. But I told them I was talking about poverty, and I didn't know how to take the woo that I got. I was like, are you excited about poverty, or are you excited that we're talking about poverty? I don't know. But uh, if you want to ask David about it later, you can. He's right over there. Uh, He said he was going to leave it ambiguous, so you could all just wonder. But this week, we're going to talk about poverty. One of the things with Convoy of Hope is that we believe that it's our responsibility to help take care of the people in the world around us. And so we're going to we're going to take that offering in two weeks. We're asking that you take one day's wage and you set aside that one day's wage and you give it to Convoy of Hope because what they do is they have feeding programs in different countries around the world. It basically takes $120 to feed a kid for a year. And what that does is it provides both food for the day and an education that they would not have otherwise. And education is so important in a lot of these countries like Haiti, and and they have feeding programs in Sri Lanka, and they have them all over the world. And the education is so important because it allows them, one, food, but the ability to then start a business later on in life or go into even Convoy's agriculture program and be able to have seed to actually plant and make a crop and make a profit and help revitalize even the economies of these different cities that they're in. And so we're really excited about it, but it begs the question, what is our responsibility to the poor? What, what does the Bible tell us our responsibility to the poor is? And that's our question for today. I want you to think about it. We're going to wrestle with it. We're going we're to walk through this. And I know when, when we look at this, this is so informed by the lens in which we've grown up, right? So like if we grew up in a Wealthy household, we have a different view of poverty most likely than somebody who grew up in a poor household. And, and we, we even go further and we are informed by politicians with these overgeneralizing statements and we were polarized because one says this, one says this, and it's, we believe every human being is like this or every human being is like this and neither of them are accurate. That's why we have to make our decision about what we believe about things through the scriptures because the lens that Jesus sets up, that God sets up in the Old Testament and the New Testament is how we must look at the poor in our world because this is a topic that God is definitely not silent on. He keeps talking about it over and over and over again through the Old Testament and through the New. Now, I, I'm not going to get into why um, poverty exists in the world or why suffering exists in the world as a whole because next week we're gonna, we had a question about free will. And so we're going to talk about free will and predestination and all those big questions of the scriptures. So more of the why is going to come next week. But I want to purely look at what do the scriptures say we need to do and how can we apply them in the modern world, in our modern world, all right? So I want to tackle this from the beginning of the scripture moving forward, okay? So let's first start with the law of Moses. How many of you love reading Leviticus? See? Oh, we got a hand! We got a hand! 
Nice. Okay. So uh, generally that is the accurate response. It's basically like all the, it's like the rule book of the Old Testament. It's one of those that's not real engaging. It's like, if this, then this. If this, then this. If this, then this. And there's like all the things about the sacrifices and all the things about the purification stuff and all this stuff about the temple and, and, and all this stuff going on, right? But Leviticus actually has some very, very beautiful moments that if we're too glossed over when we read it, we miss out on it, okay? So I want to read from Leviticus 19, starting in verse 9, and this is one of the most beautiful things that you're going to see that God does to help take care of the poor. So it says, when you harvest, so this is talking to people that have like farms, have agriculture going on. Um, So when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vine and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So basically, here's the deal. They, they, they would have a field, and you would plant crops, and basically the fringe, you're not allowed to touch, and when your harvesters go through, if they drop anything, it is no longer yours. It is the right of the poor and the foreigner. That was the deal, okay? So here's the idea. Here's the idea. Your excess does not exist for you to have surplus. It exists for those who do not have enough. That is the essence of what's going on here. Your surplus doesn't, or your excess does not exist for your surplus. Okay? It exists for those who do not have enough. That's what God is pointing out right here in this scripture. If you budget yourself all the way to the edge of your field with your budget, if you budget all the way to the edge of your income and you're not setting anything aside to be generous to the people around you, we're missing the principle that comes out of this scripture. The principle is, hey, take what you have in excess and make sure those who do not have enough have something for themselves, okay? Now, this idea plays out very specifically in another book of the Bible. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Is everybody okay with that? We're going to read a lot of God's word. It's better than my word. It's awesome, okay? So we're going to read a lot of it today. This is Ruth chapter 2, and in Ruth chapter 2, we see this actual law played out very practically. So here's the backstory of Ruth, if you didn't know. Ruth is married to this guy, and and her, her ethnicity is she's from Moab. She's a Moabite, and she's married to an Israelite. And these Israelites had moved to Moab and to, to escape this, this stuff, and, and they get there, and the son marries this Moabite woman named Ruth. And his brother marries another Moabite girl. But then there's tragedy strikes his family. And the father, her husband, and her brother-in-law all die, leaving just the two wives and Naomi, their mother-in-law. Now, Naomi releases both of them to go back to their own people, to, to marry someone else, to, be, um, to go that way, and blesses them in doing it. So one takes her up on it, and the other does not. 
Ruth does not. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Like one of these like, awesome moments in the scriptures where you're like, yes, I want to be that, right? And then they get back to Israel, and here's what happens. Ruth is living out that law in Leviticus 19, where she's a foreigner going to a field. And this guy named Boaz takes notice. It's his field. She's gleaning from his field. And here's what it says. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own lands to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. This is a beautiful story. And if you get a chance this week, read, read the book of Ruth. It's four chapters long, and it is better than anything you can find on Netflix. Okay? Got it? Yeah, read Ruth. It's four chapters, and it's beautiful, start to finish. It's one of my favorite stories. And then you can go into like the genealogy of like where Ruth and Boaz actually show up in the line of Jesus, in the line of King David. It's really, really, really cool. And to see what, why was Boaz motivated to do this for another foreigner outside of just the law, what in his history motivated him, because it's really, really cool. But you're going to have to do that on your own. Little Bible reading homework for you this week. So here's the deal. Boaz understands that greed is the enemy of happiness. Greed is the enemy of happiness. When we want to take everything all the way up into the margin, we will live sad lives. But, 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 generosity always brings great joy. Any parents in the room? Parents? I'm not a parent, but I was showing you how to raise your hand, so sorry. And parents in the room, any of you like giving gifts to your children? Anyone not like giving gifts to their children? Maybe that's a better way to ask it. Nobody, right? Everybody likes giving good gifts to their kids. Why? I would imagine because you enjoy the look on their face when they receive something from you that they, that they wanted. I... I, I I would guess that is one of the most joyful moments of any one person's life. I get that enjoyment from just giving, giving gifts to my wife or to my sibling. I get that kind of enjoyment. I couldn't imagine what it's like to give to your kid. Generosity is the key to joy in your life. When we see those around us who do not have, our natural response should be to make sure they have enough. That's the Christian's response. That's the Christian's call. So here, let's, 
That's all Old Testament stuff, right? That's like, that's Leviticus, that's Ruth, that's all Old Testament. Let's look at the New Testament now. Let's see if, if God changes his tune at all throughout the New Testament, or if this idea of taking care of the poor is actually uh, across the whole scriptures. And we've read this probably within the last year in a sermon. It's Matthew chapter 25, and it, this section is basically what, God, or what Jesus is saying is going to happen at the final judgment. This is what Jesus is saying, like, when we all stand before the king after our life is over, he's going to ask us certain questions. And basically the story says one side is going to be all the people who were wicked and one side is going to be all the people that were righteous. And, and it says, then the king will say to those on the right, the righteous, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. These, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, that is Jesus, will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it unto me. This is what the New Testament reiterates again based on that principle we saw in Leviticus based on the action we saw in Ruth, now we come forward to Matthew and it goes, hey, when did you, I, I was hungry and you fed me. So if somebody's hungry, we feed them. Because if that happens, that's what the scriptures tell us. If somebody's thirsty, we give them something to drink. If someone is a stranger, we invite them in. We don't want anyone to live a life that is alone. We want to, people to live in community, to have people that care for each other, who are looking out for each other, who, like the scriptures say, bear each other's burdens. I was sick and you cared for me. People need to be taken care of in their vulnerable moments. People need somebody to come and sit at their bedside when they're in the hospital. They need... They need people to show up with meals to take care of those moments. Those are all practical moments that God is going to ask you about at that final judgment. I was in prison and you visited me. It's interesting when we look at all these things. I've said this before, but not a single one of them was, did you read your Bible? Did you pray every day? Did you fast? Did you sing on Sunday? It was when you saw somebody who was thirsty, did you feed, or did you give them something to drink? When you saw somebody that was hungry, did you feed them? When did you saw somebody without clothes, did you give them something to wear? When somebody was in prison, did you visit them? When somebody was sick, did you take care of them? He didn't say, how are your spiritual disciplines? He said, how did you live out my words? Because the Bible is not about head knowledge, Right? In James chapter 2, it tells us faith without deeds is what? Dead. Faith without deeds is dead. Academics will not save you. Academics are good. Knowing the scriptures are good. That's why we're doing this question series. 
But the point of knowing it is that we do it. And guess what he says to the people on the left? He asks them the same question. He says, hey, sorry, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison, and you did not care for me. He says, depart from me, you evildoers. Our, our lives, our righteous lives, our lives of living the character of God are so tied to these practical things that it's that we must actually do what the scriptures say. Because the scriptures do not mince words on this topic. It doesn't. It says, this is the command of the righteous. This is the command of the follower of Jesus. Then we come to James, the book written by Jesus' brother. And chapter 1 concludes with this very, very resounding verse. And it's this beautiful verse. And you've probably heard it um, multiple times throughout your life if you've been around, around church. But it's James chapter 1, verse 27. It says this, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. This is pure and genuine religion. In the sight of God, the Father, it means taking care of orphans and widows in their distress. It means taking care of people who have been cast aside, who have not been taken care of. That's why we're so passionate about the work that Convoy of Hope does. That's why we're so passionate about this idea of one day to feed the world. It's because our excess is going to be somebody's daily bread. Our excess is going to be somebody's daily bread. And I understand that when we look at that, that story in Leviticus, it, it feels like there's no um, accounting for size. But in the scriptures, when we talk about giving, it's very much a proportionate thing to what God has entrusted you. We see it in, in tithing, especially, because tithing isn't everybody give this amount. It's everybody give this percent. Because it's proportionate to who you are, what God has entrusted to you, what, God, what resource God has given to you. And you may be saying, I don't know if I can do one day's wage. I don't know if I've got that covered. Do something. Do something. Your field may be a different size than somebody else in the room, meaning your edge your excess is going to be smaller than somebody else's in the room. That's okay. There's nothing in the Bible that says that's bad. In fact, in, in the New Testament, Jesus is looking at this woman who is in the temple, and she's coming to bring her offering, and she puts in like the equivalent to two pennies. And all these rich people are dumping in their giant buckets of money. 
And he looks at the disciples and goes, that woman gave more than all those people. Because it's not about the dollar amount. It's about the sacrifice. It's about the gift. It's about the heart. And I know it's weird when we, when, when we talk about money in the church, right? It's weird. But here's the thing. I'm not asking you about a money thing. I'm asking, will you help feed a child? Will you take what God has given you to feed a child? So here, we're going to watch a video. It's like two minutes. It's about one day to feed the world. So you can kind of get an idea of what they're, what they're doing. This year, in 11 countries at over 900 program sites, more than 171,000 children are sitting down to a hot meal. For many, it's their only meal of the day. How did these children end up sitting at this table? Who reached out in kindness across the world and told these children they are worth the investment? The answer is simple. The answer is you. By giving one day's wage, you're helping Convoy of Hope fight global hunger. It's a crisis in which 22,000 children a day die due to hunger and poverty-related causes. The task is daunting, but the solution couldn't be more clear. By giving to One Day to Feed the World, your day's wage is multiplied by Convoy's partners, providing even more life-saving food, clean water, education, and supplies to those in need. For children like Mahar, Stephen, and Manas, your gift means they don't go to bed hungry. They have energy to focus at school, and the door is open to the message of Jesus' love. The power of every meal breaks the cycle of poverty and hopelessness. And in its place, there are brighter futures and a tangible expression of the love of Jesus. For more than 20 years, you've given through Convoy of Hope, and the results speak for themselves. More than 85 million people have felt your kindness. It's been packed into boxes and loaded onto trucks, boats, and airplanes. It's been sorted, cooked, and hand-delivered by more than 600,000 volunteers. And finally, it's been delivered to the table, a table where a child sits with an empty stomach, but not for long. Your one day transforms their every day. This, this is something we're so passionate about and we believe in so deeply. One, because we've seen it in action. Um, we've had teams go to Haiti to, to be in a part of these schools to help feed these children. And it's, it's too close to the heart of God for us not to do something. We have to. This is, are you righteous or are you wicked? And I know that sounds harsh. but this is what Jesus will ask you about one day. Did you see somebody who was hungry? And did you feed them? Did you see somebody that was hungry? And did you feed them? That is what the scriptures are saying to us today. Our heart has to break for the same things that Jesus' heart breaks for. And there's all sorts of things that we can, we can come up with. It's not, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution, right? 
we were even having this conversation because it would get too into the weeds on like, how do we deal with American poverty versus foreign poverty versus this poverty versus this poverty? And the scriptures have all sorts of things we could go into deeper on it. And if we want to sit down and have conversations, we can have conversations. But the truth is, the scriptures have this same requirement on each and every one of us, no matter who we see that is poor, no matter who we see without clothes, no matter who we see without food, no matter who we see without something to drink. And I want to finish with this one last thought, this one last thing. And we're going to do this offering in a couple weeks. We wanted to put this out in front of you before we ever got to the offering because we wanted you to have some time to think about it, have some time to budget for it, have some time to go, okay, that Thursday in a couple weeks is going to be my one day that I'm working and we'll have stickers for you and all sorts of fun stuff with it. But I want us to look at one of my favorite chapters in the book of Isaiah. I'm being very specific this time because I know I have lots of favorites. Um, this, my favorite chapter in the book of Isaiah is Isaiah 58, and I want to read you 12 verses of it. And I just want the scriptures to speak to you. I don't want my commentary on these. I want you to hear what God is saying. This is what God says in Isaiah 58, starting in verse 1. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast, Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why, are you Im- why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongfully imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. 
he will quickly reply, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as the noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted city ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. This is the heart of our God. He is clear. He does not mince his words. Today we're simply going to end here. This is what the scriptures say about poverty and our responsibility to it. We either do this or we sin. The choice is up to us. God, this morning, give us a heart for those you love. Don't make us hard-hearted towards the people around us. Open our eyes to the world to seeing all these people that need. And yet, we have excess. God, I pray that you would humble our hearts, that you would open our hearts, that you would bring us close. That you would bring us near. That you would give us that same burden that those scriptures talk about, that we want to live righteous lives, righteous lives that say, I will do what you've called me to do. I want to be the person that on that final day of judgment, I look at my Savior, and when he asks me, when did you feed? I can simply say, God, I just wanted to act obedient. I just wanted to help the least of these. And I know there's always going to be moments where I could have done more. There will always be moments that we could have done more. Don't get caught up in what you could have done. Get caught up in what you can do. Because we can all do something. God, I pray that we would be people and take this so seriously. God, I pray for budgets to be made for this. I pray that generosity is a line item. 
that caring for the poor is deliberate. It's intentional. God, I'm finally just break our hearts for those you care for. For anybody in the room that isn't, wouldn't profess to be a Christian, wouldn't declare themselves to be a follower of Jesus. I pray that these scriptures today would show you the heart of our God. Would show you the nature of the king himself. That he loves each and every single person on this planet. That's everybody. No exceptions. And he has entrusted us with much. May we be people that give much. God, I thank you and I praise you that you care for the, those, those same people. You are good and you are kind. In your name we pray. Amen.